0: Okay, I'm joined here by Russ Cohen of uh, Sportsology. We're doing the 2004 NHL Redraft. Russ, how are you doing? Good, how are you, Steve? I'm doing quite well. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on here. Like I mentioned before, you come highly recommended. Uh, So hopefully folks will uh, will thoroughly enjoy this pod. Uh, Just starting off, you mentioned you've been to all the drafts since 2001. So you were at this draft, so kind of set the stage for us. Uh, what What is everyone feeling
1: in 2004? The interesting thing was it, it was in Raleigh. And at that time I used to do double duty. I used to do a show on the concourse for like basically that the NHL would approve. And so I used to get concourse access and I would have my equipment there and I would do a live show there, and then it would be podcasted later. We didn't call it a podcast, but that's what would happen. Back then it was internet radio. And so we did that. And then I also would go down into into the locker room and interview the guys, you know, right at, not locker room, but, you know, the podiums after they got drafted. So I, it was pretty hectic in those days because I was doing two things at once. A lot of times the way we did the show was we did it before the draft and then we would do it, um, starting, like, the second round back on the concourse so I could at least interview all the first-rounders. That's how it sort of used to go, because it wasn't two days in in Raleigh. It was just one day. I don't believe they – I forget what year they started the first round into a two-day format. But And then if you remember back a couple years ago back in New Jersey, it went back to a one-day format, and that was – it was rough for everybody.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's that's madness. I I feel like – I'm exhausted after just sitting there watching from home the first round. I can't imagine being in the building and and sitting through hours upon hours upon hours and having to do so much work like you're scrambling around, like running around like a chicken with your head cut off, I'm sure at some points trying to get everything in.
1: The feeling was at that time I also was um... – doing some writing for NHL.com. We used to do their prospect section. I think I started it that year. Not, I did it the year after, one or the other. And so I was pretty into um, some of the guys in this draft. And I knew about Ovechkin. I had gotten a one-on-one interview with Ovechkin at the 04 Cup in Tampa. You know how the prospects get trotted around during the Stanley Cup where they did it in those days? 03, I didn't do that. So I'm not sure if they did it in 03 or I just missed it. Who knows? But in 04, I didn't miss it. And so I actually sat in like this diner with Ovechkin and his agent. And his English was pretty good. And I was asking him questions. And now if I had to ask for a one-on-one with Alex Ovechkin, I would probably get laughed at. So I think that's pretty cool. I knew that, you know, his parents were Olympians. I learned a lot when I interviewed him. I've seen him play already in the World Juniors. You know, we, had, we knew he was leading, you know, Russia in points. He was ahead of Malkin in points, only by a point, 11 to 10. But he had seven goals. So he was a goal scorer. And so I, I pretty much knew he was going to go first. And then I can't remember if it was the day before the draft that Ted Leontis said that he learned Russian. And that was kind of funny. Now, that doesn't necessarily let you know which guy he was picking. But he actually went and learned Russian, and that, I thought that was cool. I had that interview somewhere, uh, and it just shows, you know, hey, you want to go get one of these great guys, you want to make him feel at home right away. But Ovi was the right pick for them, for sure. But Malkin was always going to be number two, I think. I think that was the feeling that, hey, this is, you know, Ovechkin is a special player, and so is Malkin, but he's just not the goal scorer Ovechkin is. So I think that was the way the hype was. Other than that, you know, other guys, as we go along, I'll tell you how, where, you know, what people felt about them and what I knew about them. I'm certainly a better prospect guy today than I was then. No question about it. I was only at it for three years at that point. So I was still early in the game. You hadn't
0: taken your lumps yet.
1: I didn't know. I, I would start to take my lumps in 07 was the Kane draft, right? So, yes. I, so I took my lumps then because we did a pre-show, same as you know we would do with this one. And during that pre-show, we had a bunch of Chicago blacks and fans in front of us. And then we started reading off our list, and we both Shane and I read off. Patrick Kane is the number one pick, and we got booed by the Chicago fans. <laughs> they didn't like it. They didn't want somebody small. He was small. He's skinny. We were like, but we'd seen him play in London. Like, we went out to London to see him play specifically, and we were like, this kid's great. And, boy, they, you know, the fans that were there for that did not want to see Patrick Kane drafted. They would rather have had JVR because of the size. But that's how the mentality was a lot back then in hockey.
0: Right. Uh, You mentioned uh, Ovechkin was pretty much hyped as the number one. He's mentioned as potentially being the best prospect since Mario Lemieux. So that's, that's kind of what we're dealing with.
1: Pretty close to accurate. I mean, in different ways, but as impactful, sure.
0: Yeah. And then Malkin, he, he, was, he was pretty much locked in at number two. Yeah, um, there was no doubt. And then I don't really remember exactly the timeline with this, but certainly the lockout was already, like everyone knew it was coming by right. this draft. What, what kind of pall did that hold over this
1: draft class? I don't think it held much at all. I don't remember it really being a factor. Maybe I was oblivious to it in a way because I was so busy working the draft, but I don't remember that being a factor. And I don't think it factored into too many of the picks. I honestly don't.
0: Okay, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I remember being completely naive to the lockout. I you know I didn't remember the '95 one, but certainly I remembered the the NBA lockout in '99, uh, and yeah. that was settled. Baseball, so I just
1: baseball had so many stoppages that you had to have seen a couple of baseball stoppages along the way.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of like, oh yeah, like th- they'll resolve this, and then no, nothing.
1: I covered the AHL that whole season. Lucky for me, the Philadelphia Phantoms won the Calder Cup. So. I got to cover a really great AHL season completely.
0: Oh, that was a loaded class.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay, let's go through what actually happened in 2004, the actual draft order. So number one, Washington, they win the draft lottery. So that bumps them up from third to first past Pittsburgh. And losing this lottery ends up strangely working out for the Penguins. Because after the season gets cancelled, you end up with the, the Crosby sweepstakes, as, as they were called. Yeah. And the criteria that they throw out for uh, determining who gets three lottery balls versus two lottery balls versus one ends up being if you had a number one pick in the past, I think, three or four years, then you lost lottery balls.
1: So right. the Penguins... And actually, and actually the, um, what was interesting about the 05... 05- that was just done in a hotel and it wasn't there weren't that many media and so i didn't go because i had a guy in ottawa and so basically was like you know what i'll man the base here home base here since that was it you know i was going to have limited access otherwise at that draft so i sent i had a guy in from ottawa and luckily i was able to put up everything here at my home base and that worked out really well that's the only one that i wasn't there in person because we didn't find out until very late how they were even going to do that draft. So it was better to have somebody who was local in Ottawa there. But that's how strange that draft was for Crosby. He got no – he didn't get the fanfare that, like, he probably deserves, like all these other picks get all over the years. He didn't get that.
0: hmm And it's interesting to contrast that with this draft, of course. Yeah. Because these players certainly do. So yeah. Washington – They take Ovechkin number one. And I read that George McPhee, he's he's talking about getting something like 15 different offers to trade the pick, three of which were considered serious. Do you remember any uh, trade rumors of what was offered around that time?
1: I don't, I don't. And I don't know who, what was offered to McPhee, but you got to remember McPhee is, is a dealer. Like he, you know, you saw the wheeling and dealing he did with the expansion draft. So George was always talking. Who knows if even some of that got out quick enough because he was probably working the phone so hard just in case.
0: No doubt. One rumor that was thrown out there was apparently Chicago was continually asking to trade up from number three, but they never made a firm offer. So it's just like, okay, see you later. So then Pittsburgh, they drop down from the number one slot. They take Evgeny Malkin. Slam dunk.
1: Number three, Chicago takes Cam Barker. Cam Barker was a big name. I mean, he – got to remember now, this is a guy that had a little bit of size. (laughs) He had an NHL-ready body, so they liked that, you know, 6'3", 215. He played uh, on the world junior team. Big star in Medicine Hat. Like, he was a big name. Like, that – Cam Barker was looked at as a can't miss. He was. And, you know, it's kind of hard to argue it, right at that moment because back when the game was like that skating wasn't the biggest issue being big and tough was a bigger issue and he could play defensively and like I said and he was on a world junior team he actually played two times on the world junior team so at that time it was looked at as a good pick good risk
0: yeah if if you played defense you didn't need to be able to skate you just need to be able to water ski right yeah I I actually, so you can, you can watch the first round of this draft. Uh, It's only available in French, uh, the RDS (laughs) feed on YouTube. So I went back and watched it and maybe a bad omen for, for Cam Barker's career that the highlight that they showed of him was trying to rush the puck up the ice and then turning it over in the neutral zone.
1: Yeah. That wasn't his thing. That's not his game. That's funny. Not, you know, video was obviously big, showing video highlights at the draft was fairly new. Yeah, like, and th- that might have just been an RDS thing
0: because they were they were filling time because they couldn't they couldn't ah, do all the same things that uh, that yeah. the other telecasts were doing. So at number 4, Carolina trades up
1: to take Andrew Ladd and that was a big deal, huge because well, the trade was interesting because it was Columbus's first and Toronto second. So they had picked those up in deals and traded it. It was big because home crowd. So the roar of the home crowd when that got announced from Batman was massive. You know, anytime you get something like a draft and you say, Well, I have a deal to announce, it always is exciting. But this is the home crowd and the home team moving up. So this was a big deal. Like this, all of a sudden that place was was amped up. Yeah, I, I'm glad you you mentioned that
0: because I was going to ask you about that. Uh, having seen the past drafts, like they, he always gets the meeting out of his, out of the palm of his hand when there when there's a trade, yeah. and then it being the home team, and it's our only trade in the top fifteen. So yeah, th- that that's a big deal for us.
1: But it was um, impactful.
0: It was impactful. Absolutely. So Andrew Ladd is is the pick, and he's the the number one North American skater ranked by CSS. And so Jim right. Rutherford is pumped after this draft that he got the number one uh, North American skater in back-to-back drafts. He took Stall number two right. in, in 2003, and they're showing his draft photo on the telecast. And Lad is rocking the uh, the spiked hair, frosted tip, yeah. soul patch look, like uh, Backstreet yeah. was indeed back. And that hasn't aged very well. Although I can't I can't make fun of it too much because uh, that
1: fall, I was rocking that look in we've high school. We've all had bad hair, man. I mean, we've all had it when I had hair. So, yeah. I would mention that if people didn't think the Lad pick was great in retrospect, here's what I would say I covered the cup when Carolina was in it, and Lad was a rookie. And so, in his rookie season, he won the cup. And he actually played a pretty good role. In the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like I looked it up, he, he only had five points, right? But you gotta remember he was like a physical guy too. And so like his minutes were important. And that was that was, you know, that was a big deal. I mean, when you get a guy and you draft him and then all of a sudden you win a cup with him, big
0: deal, at least to me. Absolutely. Like it's gonna we'll get to this in the redraft, but this this might be the only draft that I've done so far where you're really thinking about team need when you're making the pick because of the role that Lad plays in winning that cup. It's the only yeah, cup in franchise history. You don't want to take that away from them. And, and
1: look, back in those days, draft picks weren't valued the way they are now. You can see the way – like I told you, like everybody was trading up everybody else's picks, that they all traded like Toronto was trading for all this old talent, right? So that's how that second got in there. I think that was Glenn Wesley. And so, you know, you look around and you say, all right, you know, that's sort of the way it was then. It's different now, but it's also happier now. We should mention with that Glenn Wesley pick
0: from Toronto, he goes and re-signs with Carolina the year after. So yeah. they, they, got him, they got back. him on both ends.
1: And, and he wins a couple of them too.
0: Okay, so moving on, number five, Phoenix takes Blake
1: Wheeler, which I, I can imagine that was a bit of a shock. A big shock. Now, me being fair, I had no idea who Blake Wheeler was. Now, it was interesting because Gretzky was the coach and everything. So you saw Gretzky talking to Wheeler. And I just remember seeing this kid. And I'm like, wow, you know, this kid's pretty built and everything. But this is risky out of high school. Like, you go back, high school picks didn't turn out very well for a while in the NHL. They were extremely risky and so this was a gutsy pick
0: absolutely he's he's ranked number 17 yeah. uh, by CSS among North American skaters so certainly a, a leap for the coyotes to take and you look at all the drafts that take place from mid 90s to, to early 2000s and American players, they really weren't getting drafted out of high school. Teams waited until they were 19 and had at least a year of college before they were
1: picking yeah. them. Oh, yeah. That's why this was like a shock. And I just remember being on – back in the uh, – where the podium was like, Lake Wheeler, who the hell is that?
0: Mm-hmm. And, and watching on the telecast, Wheeler goes up there and he's, he's got a bandage on his chin, apparently from having taken an elbow in a pickup game earlier that week. So I think, I think that's a good omen for him. That is a good goal. I it shows what kind of player he is. Mm-hmm. And, and reading some stuff from after the draft, Gretzky, he indicates that it came down to Wheeler versus Montoya, the, the goalie taken here with the next pick. But uh, he says that Wheeler was, was the highest upside choice,
1: and certainly he, he's, he's proven correct on that. But I bet you a lot, would ar- a lot of people back then would have argued with him on that. So, Montoya is the next pick, right? And got to remember, he wins the first ever US gold medal in the World Juniors. Massive. He's the goalie. So, to say he got a lot of press would be an understatement. He looked great in the tournament. He looked like he was going to be a really great NHL goalie. He turned out to be a good NHL goalie, like, you know, no slouch, but certainly not what the Rangers were hoping for. But I could honestly tell you that, you know, growing up a Ranger fan, seeing that they got this guy, I was excited. I thought, hey, this guy looked great in the World Juniors and everything else. What ended up happening with Al in retrospect was he struggled in Hartford. When he got to Hartford, he struggled. And, And I think it was the mental game that caught up with him. And that's why it took a few years for him to really get it going when he finally got it going i mean he was a solid backup
0: and it's interesting that the coyotes do end up trading for him and that's where he re- he really <laughs> breaks in as a backup yeah yeah but yeah apparently the rangers and the rest of the world just napping on uh, on the kid they took back in 2000 coming off back to back top goalie honors in sweden winning a championship in that league and then and then leading sweden to silver at the world championships that very spring where he's the he's a tournament all-star
1: well i don't think they were napping all right so here here's the thing i wrote a book called 100 ranger greats and so i interviewed the scout that scouted Henrik Lundqvist, krista rockstrom and he was one of the best european scouts at the time basically from round two on he was pounding the draft table to draft him in 2000 and the rangers finally got around to it in the seventh round Got to remember, they took a goalie before Henrik Lundqvist in that draft, a guy named Brandon Snee who played for RPI, and he did nothing. So, I think Rangers went with what they thought was best player available, and figured can't have too many goalie prospects. I don't think they were napping on Lundqvist as much as I think they went with best player on their board. That's the way I think it went.
0: And that's how you should draft. Yeah. At Rockstrom, I believe he's the one who uh, he he goes over with Neil Smith to the Rangers. Yes, and he's he's the guy who who also helped them pick out
1: Lidstrom. Yes, that's okay. correct. So he and, and he and he was the hell of an interview. Like I had never, I'd only heard about him. He was like a legendary guy, hard to get an interview. But this Ranger book that I wrote, we wrote it with a guy named John Halligan, who was a Ranger PR guy for a million years, and also worked for the league. So that helped open that door to get Rockstrom to actually talk about it because at that time he hadn't really talked about it much. No kidding. So we should also mention this
0: is the first year that that Glenn Sather has taken over from Neil Smith in New York and he's either trading picks or he's making failed ones. This isn't his first draft, but it's uh, uh, in any case, his last five years with the Oilers, we ran down on the
1: 99 pod, uh,
0: some terrible picks. This one doesn't end up working out for
1: him either. I, I will say this. At least in this draft, he was – and it's not him doing it, right? It's his scouts, and he just basically says who the scouts want. But a lot of times the GM will say, I'm looking for this kind of player. Glenn Sater was always looking for that big guy, the big bruising guy who could score a lot of points. And he went back to that – well, no. He was finally off of that, right? Because Jessamine was 03. And the minute that pick was made, and I didn't really know Hugh Jessamine very much at all. I waited, I, I waited until after the interview, right? I, I listened to him in the interview and I called somebody because I had a cell phone and I said, I don't know. I'm questioning this pick. And so that year, I sent somebody up to Dartmouth to cover him to see what, because I said, I have to be fair. Now, this is when I was, you know, getting into prospects. And I said, as a prospect guy, I need to be fair. And so I want to get a report on him before I start deciding, you know, if this was a good pick or not. And you should, really should wait five years. That's what I've learned. But back then I did it. And he went up there and he attended, this guy attended a practice, Steve Feldman, and he, and he went to the game. And what he told me was startling. What he told me was they had Jessamine on the, uh, point on the power play he was playing nowhere near the net and I was just like boy this is a bad pick this guy's got all this size and and he's not even playing near the net on the power play so that's but at least Sater in this draft didn't go for those types of players
0: right they, they they also have another pick at 19 Lori yeah. Korpikoski and, and that one doesn't work out so great either. well I will but, say
1: this about it I was okay with the pick because coming out of the world juniors, he was tremendous. What we didn't know, what I've learned down the line, and I think it was Craig Billington that actually told me this, he's the ASGM for the abs. Some guys still have a ceiling after you draft them, right? Two, three years, four years down the road. Some guys are already what they are at the draft. And the trick is to know which is which. Korpikoski, I think, already hit his ceiling. At the draft, so he's a decent NHL player, but you would never draft him in that spot. But you didn't know that because he he was such a complete player at the World Juniors. You were like, "Wow, this guy's really good." Didn't work out. Not for that. I mean, he's he's a good NHLer, though. We all would agree on that. Mm -hmm.
0: And honestly, getting an NHLer at number nineteen isn't terrible. No, but expectations are higher. You know, of course. At number seven, the Florida Panthers take
1: Rusty Olesch. There was a lot of hype with him. And it's funny because I didn't know anything about him other than seeing or hearing, no, other than hearing a little bit about him. He was one of those guys that had speed for those days. So he had speed. And I want to say the stereotype a lot of times for the Czech players back then were, could they finish, right? A lot of times you you would wonder that, and the ones that could would stick. And so, Ole's was sort of looked at as a fast goal scorer. That's what I remember. And didn't really work out. Now, can we make the argument that it was bad that they rushed him? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like he probably was rushed. Because back then, now, Czech Elite League has gotten a lot better than it was back then, right? So the jump from the Czech elite league to the NHL back then was monumental. Like yeah, a few, a few guys did it, but uh, the, very not, few not many. Not many. So that was a monumental jump. You know, you do it now, it's not as big a deal like Philip Hedl. You know, he's done all he's done pretty well actually. And but that shows the how much that league has matured over the last, what was that, basically oh five, so sort of 15 years almost. Mm-hmm. 14 years you know so that's a big deal
0: and, and you mentioned Heedle; even he ends up having to play some games in hartford so yep yeah way she goes and and ola she ends up getting uh you, you know you talked about his speed and, and some of that potential he ends up getting a six-year 18 million dollar contract based Ooh. on that potential come, coming out of his uh entry level deal
1: is and, that the giving it to him
0: oh, i can't remember who who I, ends up giving him that one but uh yeah that's the contract that ends up getting sent back to chicago in in the brian campbell salary dump so (laughs) it it doesn't work out horribly no yeah so number eight the columbus blue jackets take alexandra picard uh, the q and he looks kind of like one of those late birthday reaches to me like you talked about guys have, have already somewhat hit their ceiling He's 18 his entire draft year heading in, so he puts up some huge numbers, but he's basically half a point per game in his age 17-year-old year. year. But this is well before anyone realizes to look at that stuff.
1: Right. That stuff wasn't as big of a deal. Um, It was Jacques Martin back then. Okay. The much-traveled Jacques Martin. And he's also the
0: head coach at the time, so he needs Olesh in the lineup. Um, Or was it Keenan?
1: That's a good question. I think it was probably Keenan. Yeah. Anyhow, um, Picard, I remember, I remember the pick and he was supposed to be a skilled. I don't want to say a skilled power forward, but a skilled bigger guy. Like that was the way he was, you know, he was viewed. Now he also had a tough side cause he had all those pins, but he was supposed to have some skill and some goal scoring ability Never really panned out at the NHL level. Uh, again, did he get rushed? Yeah. He played 45 AHL games, scored 15 goals, and they were probably like, yeah, he's ready. And he wasn't. And, and he wasn't the next year either. And so that, and that has a lot to do with a lot of these guys when they fail. Not always, but sometimes. But you're right. Picard, I think, is one of those guys that had already peaked.
0: So, up at number nine, the Anaheim Ducks take Ladislav Smead, whose claim to fame is probably getting traded
1: for Chris Pronger. Yes. Now, the thing about Smead was he was supposed to be a rock-solid defenseman, you know, toughness, shutdown guy. Back then, teams didn't mind drafting a shutdown guy high. Now teams will never do that, and now we're in an offensive era, so it makes a little more sense anyhow. But back then, he was looked at as like, wow, he's a tough shutdown guy. The video that they probably showed on him was him probably, you know, a guy coming at him and him wiping him out. You know, that's that's what you would have shown for Smead. And, again, perfect example of probably could have used another year at the AHL level but he was big, and he had the body, so they threw him in there. And, you know, he was not great. And then he played, and you probably never saw what you were supposed to see out of him. He was a decent player. He wasn't a bad player. He was a decent player. It's just with that pick.
0: Yeah, he was, he was a bottom-pairing defenseman for right. many of the dog shit Oilers teams. Uh, <laughs> yes. So. It's a good way <laughs> of putting it. Uh, up at number 10, Atlanta takes Boris Valabic, And I can only imagine this is fallout from Zidane Ochara emerging as a force because there's no other explanation for this.
1: Well, I mean, you could ask Don Waddell that. I don't want to speak for him. Uh, he certainly didn't have a lot of good drafts for Atlanta, and I'll leave it there. But I'll look at it this way. And, again, the GM doesn't do the drafting. It's the scouts. And, you know, we've been through that. But Valabic was this guy that he was massive. And I remember the first time I covered him and saw him in the AHL, I was like, wow, this guy is a giant, and he could really kill guys. The problem was his skating sucked. That's it. And And if it comes
0: along even a little bit, then he gets a chance to be
1: Chara light. Yes. And it just killed him, and they waited on him. Look, the one year he had 132 PIMS at the NHL level, what does that tell you? But he was 6'7", 230. He was also a guy that didn't know how to train. He was, he, you know, he just went with the body he had and I don't think he ever learned how to eat right or train right. And again, contrast that
0: with Chara who does all those things about as expertly as anyone can. Yeah. And you get the big difference. But it took
1: a long time for Chara and that's why they sort of waited on valovic too.
0: Hmm. And it's also maybe maybe this this pick ends up working out well because he's part of the Blake Wheeler trade. Right.
1: A couple um, of teams blew it trading Blake Wheeler, though. I think it's fair to say that. Well, only the only the one team did. Oh, I think the Bruins did too. Yeah. No,
0: that's what I mean. Oh. Okay. Well, that, was, I mean, that was that was his only trade.
1: Phoenix never signed him. Is that what it was?
0: Yeah, he refused to sign. That's right.
1: That's right. Yeah. yeah. So it's well, just coming I, into my mind. That's right.
0: Yeah. We'll get to that in, in the redraft. It, it may yeah. affect his standing. Number 11, the Los Angeles Kings take Laurie Tukanen.
1: Yeah. A lot of hype with Tukanen. Turns out his skating wasn't what you would hope it would be, but he was supposed to be a highly skilled guy. I remember seeing him in the AHL and because I, I hadn't, obviously, I, you know, hadn't seen him anywhere else. And I was like, you know what? In the AHL, he was good. He wasn't great, but he was good. If you look at his numbers, like 14 goals in his rookie season, 36 points, 13 goals in his second season, those are good numbers. Those are probably, you know, similar numbers to what Danny Russen would put up in, in Manchester as well. But that jump just wasn't – he just – he couldn't do it. Laurie Tuganen just couldn't make the jump. And I think it was the, um, the skating and that was a problem. And I don't think he was um, good enough defensively. I think that was the other problem with him. So a quad a type player.
0: Yep. Number 12, the Minnesota wild take a hometown kid,
1: AJ Thielen. Yeah. AJ Thielen. Now this one was an interesting pick because Yeah, he's an American kid, so he got a lot of press, and again, he's your typical, look at the numbers, not the stats, the 6'3", 2'12", on defense. That's what teams were looking for back then. Mm -hmm.
0: So number 13, the Buffalo Sabres, they take Drew Stafford, he ends up having a 13-year career.
1: He had a nice career. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't know if he'll be in the redraft. We'll see. But he had a nice career. Um, I can give my best Drew Drew Stafford story was at the first Winter Classic uh, in Buffalo. I covered it. I I wrote a book on the Winter Classic, and I've been to all of them but one. But I sent a guy to St. Louis. So my website's covered all of them. It's getting close to the overtime. And the big thing was in Rich Stadium back then. It was Rich Stadium, I think, still. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, There was a long walk because it's a football stadium. To get to the locker room so I walked from you know this and I, I, no jacket I was an idiot so I basically because it was snowing too right because we thought it was all going to be indoors it wasn't so we walked from the press box to the tunnel and I got to the tunnel in time for the shootout and I was standing next to Drew Stafford who was in the tunnel because he got scratched for that
0: game <laughs> oh <laughs> poor guy so did you approach
1: him or No, we were both watching Sidney Crosby win it. Like, it was, you know, he didn't want to see that, but I saw it, and it was interesting. (laughs) The whole thing was interesting.
0: Oh, that's tough. Yeah. He had the best seat in the house, though.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were right there.
0: So, up at number 14, Edmonton takes Devin Dubnik. I I want to go off on Dubnik for a little bit here because I'm frustrated with the Oilers ended up maybe messing him up and, and giving up on him. So he marinates for five years before finally arriving at 23. And honestly, like, that's that's a, that's a pretty good timeline for a goalie. Struggles a bit as a rookie, but they keep him in the mix as a heavy usage backup for a couple of years. And he's good. Great in 2013 for, again, like a pretty bad Oilers team. But this is the Ralph Kruger year, and they're they're competitive. But then yep. they, they flip over the GM. And the head coach. So now we're Craig McTavish. He brings in Dallas Eakins. They turn over half the roster, including their team captain. And the whole team goes into the crapper. And Dubnik's numbers go with it. Yeah. And then
1: he started getting a bad name. And everybody was like, ooh, we don't know if this guy's any good. In retrospect, he's really good. The one thing that's impressing me, and I wouldn't have noticed this if I wasn't on Hockey DB, because – like Elite Prospects doesn't focus on this. He has eight career assists. That's a lot. Yeah, no kidding. That's a, that's a fair amount.
0: Yeah, that's that's very quality for a goalie. Hel- yeah. Helping the defenseman out. Yeah. Yeah, he ends up getting shuffled along from Nashville to Montreal after Edmonton's given up on him. They traded him for Matt Hendricks. He goes to Montreal, and then Price gets hurt in the conference finals. And Dubnik's like, no. Nope. No, nope. like, don't put me in those games. Like, he, his, his game is shot. His confidence is shot. And I think that's a bit where the bad name comes in for him. But, yeah. like, the next year he goes to Phoenix and Sean Burke rehabs him like that. He goes to Minnesota and he's getting heart votes. And it's just like, oh, my goodness.
1: Best I could tell, Dubnick probably has the most assists for any goalie in that draft. And there's a big goalie that we'll talk about later, and he has more assists than that guy. No kidding. By one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um,
0: so that, that was the end of the lottery, but we'll, we'll close it out with the number 15 pick, uh, the Nashville Predators. They take Alexander Radulov, and I'm sure he'll come up in a
1: redraft at some point. Oh, yeah. I and mean, he has everything. He had everything then. Like, Radulov was everything they wanted in the league. Speed, size, skill. But mm-hmm. the problem was back then, you when you signed a Russian, you didn't know how long you'd have to wait. Yeah, and I believe going back and reading
0: stuff, at the time there was still major shenanigans with the transfer agreement between uh, yes the the Super League
1: and and the NHL. So you have, you've got no idea what you're getting. And and honestly, I mean Ratchlev was real good for Nashville. I'm not sure if my memory's faulty, but I think he left because they were offering big bucks.
0: Yeah, I believe that's that's part of it. And, and just, I don't know, maybe didn't want to be in Nashville. He leaves after his sophomore year. Yeah. And he had a great uh, year. N- yeah, he, he, indeed he did. Uh, so some other players who go in this draft, Pekka Rene, Mike Green,
1: Corey Schneider,
0: guy. David Krejci, Alex Goligoski, Alex Edler, Mark Streit, Travis Zajac, Johan Franzen, Brandon Dubinsky, Ryan Callahan, Dave Boland. Some very, very quality names in the, in this redraft. I would redraft.
1: say, because you made me look at the redraft, I didn't remember Alex Edler going in that draft, I'll be honest.
0: Yeah, he's a third-rounder, so he's, he slipped everyone. Yeah. Uh, so I think now let's let's blast on into our redraft. So I'm going to give you the the number one pick. And wow, that's we'll nice. And bounce yeah.
1: back and forth. Alex Sovetskin, it's easy.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. Like I feel maybe if we do this draft before the 2018 finals, that maybe we, we can make a case for Malkin. But you put that Stanley Cup cherry on top, It completely settles every question you ever had about Ovechkin, and then the
1: rest of the resume just speaks for itself. Yeah, Malkin is a hell of a player. The one thing I can tell you about Ovechkin: two things. I didn't love the Caps sweater; hated it. Still hate it. Didn't like that one at all. Because remember they redid it. So that was that was one thing. He was the new face, and they and they and they redesigned the jersey. I liked the old Caps thing when they brought that back. I was happy. The second one is. First year, his rookie season, he comes in Philly. And I interview him after the game. And I, I, I think the Capitals won that game, but I could be wrong. But anyhow, I, I talked to Ovechkin and I said, well, what do you think about Philly and, and the game and everything else? And he goes, you know, there was a guy who kept booing me. And he was booing me in warm-ups. And I waited till he was done. And after the game, and that's, this is why I think they won and I think Ovechkin may have scored. He goes, I skated over to him. And I gave him my stick. Now I have a fan. That's what he said to me. Like he knew. Like he knew. Even then, how to win people
0: over. That's amazing. Yeah, his his charisma is. It's amazing. Yeah, it, it's outstanding. And, and to be able to do it that early in his career uh, yep. as
1: a player. And Philly's a tough place. I mean, remember when Crosby came in, Hatcher was killing him. I mean, he bloodied him up. There's a there's a car, there's a card. a a hockey card right that wasn't in the main release for like upper deck but you remember they had the um the zambonis that they used to make where they had a zamboni and a card and on that card there was blood on crosby in the picture and i knew the person who proofed the cards and i said how did this get through and that person was like i don't know it's a mistake thank (laughs) you for telling me and and that was because it got taken early on and that's when you know Hatcher was messing him up, and he cut his eye, I think.
0: Yeah, well, you can't win in Philly. They even boot Santa. So, <laughs> so if we don't need to run down the resume, it's, it's insane. He's the best goal scorer of all time. You know, he's mentioned as potentially being the best player drafted since Lemieux uh, before his draft class. Do you think he holds up to that? I mean, I
1: think in a different way. I, I, I mean, goal scoring – is one thing. Is Lemieux more of a complete player? Sure. Um, Does Lemieux have a higher skill level? Higher skill level, but not a better shot. Was Lemieux faster? No, but he was fast for his time. Ovechkin's faster. Is Ovechkin stronger than Lemieux? Yeah, he's stronger. So there's, you know, differences there, right? So you really can't compare those two. You could compare Malkin and Lemieux a lot easier, I think.
0: Yeah, and to be clear, I'm not asking was Ovechkin better than Lemieux. I'm just saying, no, no, is he the best guy to go since him? Because to to me, Mount Rushmore Lemieux is is one of the four, and that's yeah.
1: No, I, yeah, I'm with you on that. No, I think Crosby's still better than than uh, Ovechkin. I do because end of the day, Crosby is yet to hit that mark where you say, all right, he's in decline. He's not in decline yet.
0: Right. And, and, Russ, we're, we're simpatico on this. I'm saying up to this point. Uh, oh, Before so- draft. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're 1,000% we're, we're yeah. on the same page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this brings up number two for me, Pittsburgh, Evgeny Malkin, like a no-brainer. Yep. In any other draft between Lemieux
1: and Vechkin, Malkin's probably going number one. Definitely. I mean, he's a center. I mean, just think about that. A winger went ahead of a center. Like you've got to be a hell of a player to do that.
0: Yeah, no kidding. And like like we mentioned before, there may have been a case at one point for Malkin over Ovechkin, but Ovechkin he's just he's a metronome. He just every single year
1: it's it's nonstoppable. Whereas I think with it, Malkin with juniors, because he had the seven goals, I really do think that's what set it apart. Mm-hmm. And, and and Malkin
0: he just. He, it comes and goes for him, and there's injuries, whereas that's, that's never been an issue with Ovechkin. But when Malkin's on, his fastball is as good as anyone's in the league, and that's why he has a Hart Trophy and a con yeah.
1: Smythe. And- the other thing about Ovechkin, which I do believe played into it, his mother was definitely an Olympic basketball player, and I think his father was in the Olympics too, but I'm not sure about the father, but I remember the mother was an Olympic basketball player. Yeah, you can't you can't beat those bloodlines. Yeah. So Malkin goes
0: to the Penguins and then they draft the best player of the generation in Crosby the following year. Yeah. That's that's such like such weird circumstances for him where he's the best player in in 20 years if not for the guy who goes two ahead of him. And then yeah. he's the best player in 20 years. If not for the guy who gets
1: drafted onto his own team a year later. Um, but the year before, I got to give Craig Patrick all the credit because he traded up to get Flurry. And I knew about Flurry. I knew how great he was in juniors. He had the, uh, what was it, back then was, what, what color was his pants back then? Were they, um, were they yellow or white back then? I can't remember. But it was, he was flashy, he was great. And he traded up to get them. And even with these two guys, if you don't have Marc-Andre Fleury, you're probably not winning the Cups they want.
0: Right. And so that brings me to, to the question that I was getting to. What do you think the over-under for Cups uh, of the Crosby-Malkin era, like once they draft them back-to-back years, what, what do you think you, you peg the over-under for Stanley Cups for them at?
1: I mean, I think you look at it realistically and say you hope to get one. I think it's kind of greedy thinking more and they got more but you know what I mean don't you think that's kind of greedy I think that's kind of hard to, to say
0: yeah d- certainly because the parody and, and in the cap era you you only get really get these two three-year windows where you've yep. got guys making cheap money and yep. they they get their cup in in the last year of the affordable Malkin uh, that yep. first one but I still think if Vegas is setting these lines, they can get a whole lot of action, two-way action, if you set it at, like, three and a half. So, right now, they're at three, and you could argue that's, that's a little bit disappointing. Like, certainly after they win that first one, people are thinking, oh, well, here we go, F- five or six of these things. And well, if you want to do
1: all four in the sense that I thought Tampa had the starting of a dynasty, but the problem was Javi Bullen. Like, once he left, right, they were never going to win a cup. Mm-hmm. so uh, another
0: weird question to throw at you here russ okay if malkin and ovechkin switch spots malkin's in washington ovechkin's in pittsburgh right How how many cups does each guy get
1: i think i think malkin gets one and i think ovechkin gets the three
0: okay so it doesn't it doesn't blow up between him and him and Crosby there's not a big internal
1: no I think again I don't think they would play together I think it would be the same thing as with Malkin I don't think they would end up playing together the one thing about Crosby I don't want this to be the Sidney Crosby show but I think best player of the generation the one thing about him is he never gets good line mates like he always has to turn those line mates into better players than what you thought they were he never had a stud linemate like Ovechkin, ever. It's true. Not well, Not until Jake Gensel. Right. Gensel was, was the first one. He's,
0: he's the real deal. No one knew it, but right. it, as it turns out, he is. Yes. So last one for you. Is this the best 1-2 in a draft in NHL history?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it has to be. Yeah, um, I mean, you look at the impact of those two. They're two Hall of Famers have won Stanley Cups, maybe even Ovechkin wins multiple too. I mean, if they both win multiple Cups, then there's no way you could ever doubt it. But I don't think you could doubt it anyhow. No
0: doubt. So you're up at number three for the Chicago Blackhawks. Number
1: three, um, I'm still going Blake Wheeler. I don't care that – he just didn't want to play in Phoenix. I'm not in Phoenix. Whatever franchise I'm in, he'll play for yeah, I, I'm good with that. Uh, Wheeler, he... I like that was a Phoenix-only thing for him because yeah, he was a it, Massachusetts kid, right? He just didn't want to be there.
0: Yeah, he, he certainly wasn't going to go to Phoenix. So in this redraft, I wanted to make sure he landed in a big market. That was the only way. If right. I was drafting for a team, I was only taking him if it was a big market. So if he falls to me at four for
1: Carolina, I can't take him because I'm not sure I'm getting him. Right, you probably would not get them, but Chicago gets them. If I'm running Chicago, Blake Wheeler would go would go to Chicago. So,
0: absolutely. And you know, we've we've talked a bit about taking some lumps and learning some things about players. It takes a while for Wheeler to to finally come on, but yeah. once he finally he gets, you know, he's got three years of roughly forty points, but he's toiling on like the third line with, yeah, that with Boston. Was the issue. That was the yeah. issue. And see, at the time, I'm writing about how, oh, he's so toolsy, but he doesn't have the toolbox. He's never yeah. going to put it all yeah. together. And I'm just a moron, not doesn't know how to read. A, oh,
1: actually, Wheeler's a, a, a Minnesota kid. Sorry, Wheeler's a Minnesota kid. I always thought he was a Massachusetts guy the way he spoke.
0: Anyhow. Yeah. So at the time, I, I just don't know how to read a score sheet and figure out that he only played 13 minutes a night, and that's, that's why he's only putting up a half point per game. As soon I as remember, he gets traded to Atlanta, he lights yeah. it up, and it's like, oh, yeah, you're a moron.
1: I so remember looking back at that, not when the trade happened, but a few years later and saying, look at the time on the ice. I looked at the same thing. I noticed that, too. Yeah,
0: and that's, that's maybe the first of, of Chiarelli's many superstar trades but they win the cup. So it's, it's worth it in the end. Okay. That puts me up at number four for Carolina. And we talked about this before real tough picking for Carolina because we know they get contributions from Ladd in their cup season. So I've got to really balance, you know, what, what are my needs? Am I going to get my only cup of, of my franchise history? or am I going to take the better player long-term? So you've taken Wheeler off the board. I don't have to worry about not being able to sign him. I'm right. going to take Mike Green.
1: Yeah, that's what I had there. Okay, so we're argue, Um all, all I can tell you is Mike Green was definitely thought of as an offensive defenseman, but very soft on D, and that turned out to be true for a while until he rounded out his game. But – Man, what do you have? An 80 point season? I mean, you
0: know. yeah, he's got an 80 point season points. and he scores 68 goals and 205 points in 225 games over a three year period from yeah. 07 08 to 09 10. And some of that's the team environment that he's on, like Ovechkin's on his team. And this is, yeah. th- these guys are absolutely running through the league, but he is the perfect offensive defenseman, can rush it can pass it up. He's, he's feeding those forwards. He knows how to jump into the play. He's got a bomb from the point, but he's really good at, at moving it across from the point.
1: And he's got a swagger to him too. If you ever interviewed Mike Green, like I've interviewed him, he has a little bit of a swagger to him too. Okay. Yeah.
0: You can, you can certainly see that. And, and not afraid to be physical for, for a player no. who's, you know, as, as noted offensively, Uh, He gets Norris votes four different years and finishes second twice. And he's a first team all-star two times. So the injuries catch up to him and he never really reaches those highs, but he contributes in 05, 06 for the caps. So I could maybe get him on those, on that cup team in Carolina. And then when I'm ready to make my next run in 09, they go to the conference finals. I've got Green as my number one defenseman at the peak of his powers instead of relying on Joe Corvo.
1: Fair. All right. So with the next pick, I am going to be picking here for uh, for the Rangers. Uh, I believe you're the Phoenix Coyotes. Oh, Phoenix. No, no, sorry. I'm picking for Phoenix. And so now Phoenix... Back then, I think they could have gone for what was not so long-term, but also a highly skilled guy, and didn't take long for him to get to the NHL. David Krejci, we'll never know why he was a second-rounder. Like, we'll never know why. I'll never know why. i I'd be lying if I said I knew who he was going into that draft. I really didn't. And so, pff, look how good he is. I mean – now, he's had some injury problems, but even so, a lot of points, man.
0: No kidding. Yeah, I had Krejci there as well. Story, one of my former co-workers, he played in the queue, and when they went up against uh, Krejci and Giroux's team in the yep. playoffs, like, Krejci was the guy. So, that, that really opened some eyes on on the perspective on that. Now, he's a, he's a year or two older than
1: Giroux, so that explains to you why, but still. Like, I knew about Giroux, but back then – didn't know about Krejci and Gatineau. I mean, I just didn't. I mean, I wasn't plugged into Gatineau back then. I wasn't. Well, let's see. Did he outscore Claude Giroux in the second year? No, Giroux outscored him.
0: Okay. So, yeah. But he's he's a cup winner
1: one time. and he's. I think he's it's needed. fair to note, sorry. Since we mentioned Claude Giroux, I always feel like we have to mention that Bobby Clark didn't even say the right name. And <laughs> – that was a little stunning because I was out on the concourse and, and I was listening, right? Because I wasn't, you know, be able to go underneath to the podium or anything. And I said to somebody, I said, did I just hear him say the wrong name? And somebody said, yes, that indeed happened. And so I said it on this broadcast that I was doing, you know. But years later, when, when Drew was making his debut for the Phantoms, I, I waited patiently until after the game and he had a good game. And I said, do you think Bobby Clark knows who you are now? And he, and he smiled. He goes, yeah, I do. <laughs> I was dying. I was waiting a, what a year or two to ask him that question. But I finally got to ask him. Oh, that, that's awesome. And
0: it, it should be noted. We haven't done the 2006 redraft pod yet, but this is already the second time that someone has referenced that moment. So one that will forever live. On. Oh,
1: it'll live forever. And. I covered Giroud, right? I, I'm covering him here in Philly for a, a very long time, so I have all the respect for him. But it was just funny. I really wanted to ask him that question. <laughs> yeah, love Giroud. He is. He is. Everyone knows his name now. Yeah.
0: So I guess yeah, we're we're both settled on. Cret- we're not Cret- having much debate. That's the sad part. Yeah. Yeah. This this kind of sucks. Um, yeah. I was hoping to have to have to contend for that pick myself because I mean he has some huge moments on some finalist teams. They, they made the cup finals three times now. The Bruins, those Lucci, Chorton, Krejci lines, like absolutely ran teams over. I mean, you look
1: at his point production against the Flyers, even though they may have lost those four to the Flyers when they were up three nothing, he had a lot of points. But when he got injured, he got injured in that series. That was a key turning point. Right. Absolutely. Uh,
0: it, it's also worth noting that – he scores a hat trick including uh, the ot winner in game 4 against the leafs in in that 2013 series. Yeah, after leaf, so that's 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 a huge one that I'm, I'm happy to bring up. And, <laughs> and, and you also you also wonder like he only has 270 point seasons on his record and some of that is injuries yeah. but if he lands on a team like Phoenix and he's the number one guy, how many more minutes does he oh, get? How okay. much, you know, maybe maybe he has a an eighty-point season mixed in there. Yeah, very possible. You know, there's there's maybe some some unscratch potential uh, sitting in there, but he taps into it in the playoffs. So he's he's led the playoffs in scoring
1: twice. Yeah, he's a good playoff performer. There's no question. He's just getting hurt. That's his thing.
0: Yeah. So number six, I'm up for the New York Rangers, and this puts me in a little bit of a pickle because I wasn't expecting to have so many good goalies available to me here
1: yeah yeah let's see if you fall into the same trap
0: I I could take a goalie here but honestly I'm not gonna do it I'm gonna take Alexander Radulov and hope that the the power of New
1: York keeps him in the NHL that's interesting I I didn't have Radulov until a few picks later because of the risk element of him staying there would I get him back? Uh, if he went to New York, he'd be under tremendous scrutiny. Would he fail like Valerie Kamensky did? Maybe. Right. And Kamensky was as skilled as anybody, right? I mean, so, and, and I'm from New York, and I've covered the Rangers a lot. So, there's, there's some pressure there for Russian players. And remember, they all go to Brooklyn and, you know, have a good time in Brooklyn, too, in that neighborhood. So, it, you know, it, it would be, I think it would have been difficult for him.
0: Yeah, and Radulov certainly noted for getting suspended in the playoffs. Yeah, going out and partying with the Kostetsens. So and that's sort of what I was getting at. Yeah, the yeah. Maybe maybe if I have no Kostetsens on my team, then then I'm able be to. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll do all right. But uh, maybe Yager takes him under his wing, and he he becomes a bit of a baby Yager. Because certainly, since Radulov has come back to the NHL, like yeah. the the way that he plays is is so reminiscent of Yager his his ass game is is second only to Yager oh, yeah.
1: No, he I I agree with you and yeah by the time Yager was a ranger he was really mature and a different guy the Yager on the caps Yeah you
0: don't want that guy you want you want post lockout Yager where he's he's seen the other
1: side of it Yeah the Yager on the caps I believe at one point said um, I'm a minus the minute I step out on the ice <laughs> and he had spent all that money on him. So, yeah. Uh, before we move on
0: to your pick at number eight, uh, can you fill in the blank for me? If Radulov stays in the league for his full career, he's still playing, it, but if he never leaves, he is the ex-best player in uh, in his
1: prime. I'm going to say he's probably... maybe he would be a top 25 player.
0: Okay. So he's, he's a first liner and first potentially liner. star player on, on a team, but
1: if he's star your best player, you're
0: not going anywhere.
1: Right. Because I don't think he'd get more than 30 goals and I don't think he would get more than 75 points, but he does other things that make his game really valuable. Absolutely. So moving on, number
0: eight, Columbus Blue Jackets. They're number seven, Florida Panthers for
1: you. Right. So seven for the Panthers. This one may surprise you. I'm going to go for the offensive upside and really like a really solid offensive game in Alex
0: Golagoski. Okay. This is interesting. I would, I would not have taken him here. I have have him. Much farther down, but certainly he's a minute muncher for, for a lot of years. He's,
1: oh
0: yeah. He's like a number two, number three defenseman for a, many a time and, and potentially could offer you more. So eight hundred and
1: sixty-eight games, four hundred and seven points, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah, but we're we're
1: leaving lots of goalies on the board here. What's going on? <laughs> well, because I would have Again, I think it also is playing into it the team that I'm that I'm doing this for, and so the goalie. I feel like. All right, how do I best say this? I don't think that team at that time would have taken a goalie. No, probably not. But they're they're not far along from
0: turning now, theirs over. Was Jason Kid their goalie? Probably. No, it's Luongo. Oh, Luongo. That's right. And he's Kidd. he's pitching. A 931 save percentage yeah, yeah. at this so point for they some weren't. for some absolute dog shit teams, and he's just a hero that year. Olli Jokinen's their leading scorer with 26 goals and 58 points, so they're pretty starved for offense. So you yeah. t- you taking an offensive defenseman for them is not the worst idea. So what but, kid was
1: I guess the kid was before Luongo? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. No, I definitely they definitely wouldn't have taken a goalie. I'm with yeah. you.
0: Okay, so that puts me up. Number eight, the Columbus Blue Jackets. I had Pecorine going much higher in this redraft, but then things tumbled and team needs scrambled yeah. out. So here I am, Columbus, number eight, and I'm going to take the best goalie on the board. And it's kind of tough to make it when you just took Pascal Leclerc number eight, in, in 2001. But this is I one of those situations. Talking. He was thought to be a stud, too. Yeah, and this is just one of those situations where you get it wrong. Well, let's fix that problem. They didn't know they got it wrong yet. No, no, they probably wouldn't have made this pick, but in the redraft, they're going to. Yeah, that's
1: fair. (laughs) Because they need it. Nope, that's fair. I mean, I I can't kill you at all. So now I'm thinking, number nine, there's, there's two guys here. And i got to look. Hold on. Uh, let's see.
0: So if, you, if you're taking a goalie for Anaheim, you're considering that they've got J.S. Jager and they might. Yeah, I wanted like to see that. if
1: Jiggy was there. Jiggy's there, so I am not taking a goalie. Um, because, again, I'm sort of drafting with the mentality at that time, too, that you could go a little more with team needs than best guy. Because I think there were, especially this draft, I think teams did that. So I am going to go with Johan Franzen. Oh, okay. The mule. If you think about it, he's their type of player for that era.
0: Absolutely. So this puts him on the opposite side of that 07 Western Conference final. Yes. Which is is thoroughly interesting. Oh, my goodness. The size and just – yeah. punishment that you're getting from the ducks for did, like so Franzen doesn't do much as a rookie in oh five oh six but is he enough to turn the tide for them against the Oilers in, in the conference
1: finals? Maybe I mean I'll tell you one thing about Franzen when he when he was at his best heck of a creased presence man you good luck moving him out and you know he scored 187 goals that's pretty good but he he blew up a lot of plays. That's the thing.
0: Yeah, he only gets like roughly 9 years cuz he comes in late. He's drafted at what 24 and doesn't yeah. come over till he's 26. So yeah. y- you've already lost maybe his his peak years. But he's also a power forward, so maybe it would have just taken him until 26 anyway. Good playoff
1: performer, really good early in his career,
0: which definitely would have helped Anaheim. Absolutely. Yeah, he has he has some big time years there. I think he maybe leads the playoffs in goal scoring. One of those one of those Stanley Cup final years for Detroit. Yeah,
1: yeah, I would th- I would think so. He had twenty three points, so
0: yeah. And too bad those those injuries derailed him, but that's kind of the way yeah, life back. is. You you live by the sword, you die by the sword. You play like that, and and you're yep. going to end up quite uh, quite beat up, no doubt. Okay, so, yeah, I think we're kind of in agreement on on too many of these picks. This is weird. I know. Um, That puts me up here at number 10
1: with uh, the Atlanta Thrashers. They're a wild card. I mean, they're a complete (laughs) wild card. You don't know that they're going to have to move, and you don't know about any of those things yet. But um, at this point, you might start to detect their drafting as a little suspect.
0: Well, they took Boris Valabek. They're just, they're just chasing no, no, Trata. Even,
1: even before then, like Stefan, Patrick yeah.
0: Stefan. Yeah, well, so we talked about that in the, in the 99 redraft. And Burke, uh, he tells the story on, on Tim and Sid where he, he, like, he Jedi mind tricks Waddell into trading up to take right. number one. Because he's convinced he wants Stefan, which fine, like everyone got that one wrong. Everyone was convinced he was going to be a good guy, and apparently injuries wash him out. But he doesn't need to trade up to one to take that pick. But he's like, you know, you, Ted Turner's in the building. You, you can be the first expansion franchise to ever pick number one, and then he just he talks them into it. And He yeah. didn't need to. But, yeah, I'm, I'm picking for Atlanta here, and they just took Kari Letton in, number two. So they'd be real tough for me to take a goalie and, and the fact that Letton is actually, he's pretty good for them in Atlanta, even though their team's not very good. Oh, Lennon was really good. I mean,
1: he, he was an all-star goalie in that lockout year. He was the goalie that went up against the Phantoms in the, uh, in the Calder cup finals. He was with the Wolves and um, uh, who, who is it? Nitamaki was the uh, goalie for the Flyers. And That's so a bit of a mismatch. We thought, like everybody's like, wow, Carrie Lettinen against Antero Nitamaki. This is before Nitamaki looked up at the scoreboard and let one in. But I gotta say, I mean, it was a great series, and Lettinen was really good. Um, I I really do think he just didn't have enough killer instinct because even with Dallas, he played well. I, I felt like Carrie Lettinen did well there too.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think he was he was very good at all in Dallas. But um, it's beside the point, he was good in Atlanta. Their team wasn't very good, so the numbers took a hit. Maybe he looks better if Alex Edler is patrolling the blue line for them. I'm taking Edler here at number ten.
1: Edler at number ten. Oh, that's a good one off the board. I will. I, one more thing about letnik has just popped in my head. I interviewed him for the all-story game magazine and I wrote an article in that. And I asked him about his mask. And that's when I learned who Lil Wayne was. <laughs> Lil, Wayne, Lil Wayne was on his mask. I had no idea who the hell that was.
0: No kidding. I didn't know he was on a uh,
1: mask. Wow. That's, yeah. uh, well, that makes sense. Atlanta. Yeah. But like when he said that, I had to ask him to repeat the name. I know no, I had no idea who this guy was.
0: You're like your buddy, Little Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, no kidding. All right. So I'm picking for the Kings here, right?
1: Number yes, 11. You're, you're up at number 11. Uh, this is tough. I have it between two guys. I have to go see who the Kings goalies were.
0: I have to imagine they were not at all very good at this point. I'm That's, thinking there might be some Brathwaite involved here.
1: It could be Freddie Brathwaite. Uh, during that season, we're talking Cristobal, UA, and oh, they they traded for Czech Monic. Yikes! And Czech Monic is cooked by that point. Yeah, well, I, I covered him in Philly like he was just a weirdo. All right, I'm gonna go Devin Dubnik here. Oh, Devin Dubnik. interesting. Okay. Yeah. This is going to correct a lot of problems
0: that the Kings had for a while. Yeah, no kidding. But so you
1: go Dubnik and not Schneider. Yeah, because I'm going for the bigger goalie, knowing also now that Schneider was not going to really be up to the task physically to be that number one goalie in the league. I always thought he could be a number one, and he proved for a short time he could be a number one. But I think – his physical ailments took him down, nothing else. I mean, I just think – and maybe he got a little overhyped in Vancouver. Maybe I got a little caught up with it too because he was the American goalie in the World Juniors, yada, yada, yada.
0: Okay. Interesting because, yeah, I had Schneider very high. I, I really liked him. When he hits his peak, he's probably the second-best goalie in this draft. Uh, his, his run, once he actually lands in New Jersey – he, you know, he's forced to split time with Brodeur that first year. But then he's lights out the next two years and then and
1: then falls apart injury-wise. I mean, yeah. Now if you think about this, where would the Minnesota Wild be without Devin Dubnik? They would never ever make the playoffs.
0: Yeah, they would certainly be struggling and those Parise suitor contracts would even would look even worse. worse. I mean. Yeah. He might be big and sort of boring to watch at times, but a pretty efficient goalie. Oh, Dubnik is is fantastic. Like we talked about his his circuitous route to get there. Yeah, and certainly, like he's in the mix here. I I, I can't like I'm not beating you up too much.
1: Oh no, it's uh, all right.
0: I just think that Schneider, I think he had a, a little bit longer of a run as an elite goalie.
1: But he's too run over. That's what I would question now I know Stalock played a little better than he did this year mm-hmm. I don't know if Dubnik's done yet
0: hey you might be right and and Schneider
1: remember, he certainly... had that problem he had to be at home for a while I think maybe his head
0: wasn't right this year yeah I can't remember what was going on with
1: that oh yeah it took family leave you know whatever that yeah. was
0: yeah yeah I just I don't remember the specifics so I don't, I don't want to get I... it wrong
1: no uh, no and I don't either referencing it yeah but the idea
0: is I still think there's a little bit more there. Yeah, you may, you may be right. And so... And Schneider, there's nothing left. Yeah. but So the question, the unanswerable question is, if Schneider isn't stuck behind Luongo and then Brodeur, does he have a whole run before Dubnik even lands in Minnesota where
1: he's this awesome goalie? So we're picking for L.A. Like, in yes, retrospect now, I'm going to say no. Because I think that was part of the issue was he didn't have all that
0: pressure on him early. Okay. See, I think he was he was over-marinated in Vancouver, and I feel like his best years
1: were wasted. Maybe, but he also learned a lot from the guys he was behind. Very true. Very true. That, that's a big factor in his development, too.
0: It is. I suppose that's why they call it a, an unanswerable question. Yep. So so you took Dubnik at 11 for the Kings. And I'm going to turn around. And for Minnesota, I'm going to take Schneider.
1: Fine. And uh, w- one more. Well, Schneider's going to still have to battle it out with Backstrom, though.
0: Yeah, yeah, for a couple of years.
1: But Backstrom ends up cooked pretty pretty quickly. So, But he wouldn't have been – Schneider would not have been the starter right away. Backstrom no. was – he hurt no. his hit. And Backstrom was one of those LTIR guys, remember? I mean, he turned into that, unfortunately.
0: hmm But I think it, it, it ends up being a, l- a little bit more of a seamless transition because sure. by the time Schneider's ready,
1: Backstrom's hip is gone. Yeah, I think you're right. Actually, I do think the timing on that really works out. hmm I still would have taken the guy who I'm going to take over Schneider, though. Interesting. Okay, so why don't you make that pick? All right. So number 13, picking for the Sabres, Ryan Callahan. Okay.
0: Okay. I have him a little bit lower, but let's let's hear the sales
1: pitch. Well, I mean, if you could measure the heart of Ryan Callahan, it's off the charts. Matter of fact, even a beat up Ryan Callahan, if you remember, Iserman wanted him on his team in the worst way on the ice and in the locker room because of the leadership capabilities, because of the clutch goal scoring. But in, when he was right, and I, I covered Callahan when he was right, really good player. I mean, any team in the league would have wanted him. He was that guy that literally would do anything you want. You want me to be, you know, a defensive guy, I'll be a defensive guy. You want me to score, I'll score. You want me to – I mean, he's not going to be – he wasn't a 70-point guy, but he was super reliable for 20 goals somewhere between 18, 25 goals, definitely was going to get you 50 points. Did he get injured? Sure. But he had some good shifts, man. I mean, you look at the 11, 12 playoffs, he had 10 points in 20 games. That's pretty good. He was decent in the playoffs. He was, he was one of those guys that was just – you have to have a guy like that on your hockey team. Like you look at Ryan Callahan and you say, yeah, I want Ryan Callahan on my hockey team.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's why he, w- he was team captain type material. Yeah, and he plays a power forward game, and, and his career not. his career takes a power forward trajectory. But like you said, he's only five ten. Like he
1: got every ounce out of that five uh, ten. You, you mentioned it. With Mike Richards a lot when they and I cover a lot of those games, and he and Mike Richards used to bang man, I and mean, neither of those guys were overly big, and and it killed both of them.
0: Yeah, Richards is, uh, he's from Northwestern Ontario. So I remember some of my buddies playing in, uh, in softball tournaments with him in the summers. And I just remember looking at photos and seeing how rail thin he was and being mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I, that guy, that of- guy's like crushing people on the ice. And yeah. he must not weigh more than 165
1: pounds soaking wet. Ian Dubinsky used to go at it like crazy too.
0: No kidding. Yeah, those, those were some good, uh, good Metro battles. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's not a terrible pick, and the Buffalo Sabres, certainly he would have been an upgrade for them on, on Stafford, on some of those teams that made a run. And if if I'm not mistaken, he's, he he's wife, from
1: the area. Yeah, he's from up there, so Syracuse. So if you remember, his grandmother would have been really happy because they used to always show Callahan's grandmother. Um, but the other thing is he would have fit in with Drury and everybody because he had good speed.
0: Absolutely. So I think Mr. you just Mr. Stafford had no speed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just upgraded the the
1: post lockout sabers yeah. that make back-to-back conference finals. Yeah. I mean, maybe he would be the difference maker. Like that's just one more guy. Maybe like JP Dumont doesn't get the chance. I don't know. Maybe Callahan takes his job. I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. So the other guy you could have gone with there is the guy that I I forecasted I was going to be taking for the Sabres, and that's Travis Zajac. So I'm happy to take him for the Edmonton Oilers.
1: Yeah, Zajac's a good player. I wouldn't take him here. Uh, I feel like there's another better player on the board, unless he got taken already. I can't remember if he did, but we'll see. But I I feel like there's definitely one better player on the board if he's really there. I like Zajac. I think he's been a really – consistent player but he's never been great at anything no he's he's definitely not great but he gets selkie votes
0: seven different times mm-hmm. he's he's a 60 point guy a couple of times when he's he's coming up with times,
1: but yeah with parise and kovalchuk that's the, the reason but that's the reason it, yeah. without them he he's not an offensive fire starter right but he's
0: the number one center on a cup finalist which is interesting to me, and, and he gets top 10 Selkie votes, and he's getting them almost right away in his career. So mm-hmm. it's not one of those, oh, this guy is a oh, grizzled veteran just, type situations.
1: But the offense never really came around.
0: No, it, it certainly did not. And, but he's still doing it today. Like, he's still a 18 minutes a night type center.
1: Yeah, very reliable, boring player to watch. Mm-hmm. Great guy in the locker room, so everybody would want him in the locker room. But I just feel like a little underperforming for what I thought he might be.
0: Yeah, you, you probably want more, but, I mean, we're picking at 14. Not not a superstar I mean, in this draft. Still, but still a
1: home run pick because you're getting 1,000 games out of him. You will. Yeah. So that's a home run pick no matter what. Yeah.
0: So who are you taking at 15 for Nashville?
1: If Alex Edler is still there, I'm taking Alex Edler. I already took him at, yeah, I wasn't sure. So ten. Right. So now it's it's between two guys and I'm really struggling because I'm going to I'm gonna to have to go in the mold. I'm gonna think like Nashville here and and I'm gonna go with Mark Strite.
0: Interesting.
1: I'm gonna take him over, over Lad because when Mark Strite was right, terrific skater total offensive defenseman, and Nashville always wanted some offensive defensemen. They wanted rock-solid guys, too, but they knew that they, you know, that's why they drafted Ryan Ellis. They knew that's why they drafted Sam Girard. They knew they had to get some offensive guys, too. And Mark Streit was a really – like, I covered Strite, and I really felt like maybe he was a little underappreciated at times because with the Islanders, really good. I think we all would say that. They were terrible when they had him. Yes. And he was so good. So good. I mean, his high year for the Canadians was 62 points. I mean, that that's a lot of points in that era. 07-08,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, if we look up – what is it, 6 07, 08. I'm going to look up top-scoring defenseman in defense 7 08. Well, it would have been, I think, maybe Gonchar.
0: Mike Green and Mark Strait because that was the first year I played fantasy and I had both straight and green on my team and those guys were <laughs> those guys were a gold mine.
1: Yeah, all right. So it's coming up here. Lidstrom one, Gonchar two, straight three. Right. Mike Green was seven.
0: Oh, that's right. That was the year before he really popped. He only gets fifty points that year. But I in the second he just, half, he's lights out. I think I just justified my pick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can I can buy that. Certainly, we got to give some shout-outs to guys like Andrew Ladd. And Ladd was Brandon. next on my board. He was. Yeah, and, and Brandon Dubinsky is in the mix as well. Love
1: Duby as a player. Uh, all heart. Obviously, Tortorella loves him. <laughs> now that we've done our redraft. There's one more guy. You didn't mention. You, okay. needed, you needed to give honorable mention to one more guy. This guy is one of the biggest pain in the asses to all Eastern teams, especially Metro teams, and that's Blake Como. Okay. <laughs> okay. And you got to think about it. Blake Como is a pretty good hockey player. He he plays a lot of games, and he does not make it easy for you. No. He's hard to play against, man. Like he, like I said, he's a pain in the ass if he's out on the ice. Yeah.
0: There, 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 there are a lot of uh, NHL players out of this draft, so – I didn't want to go too long with with the I show, have, I'm, but i'm glad you I'm glad you threw one out there for for como so maybe maybe he would be the answer to my next question, which is uh if the, is there a player from this draft class, even knowing like after their careers have have gone on this long that you still irrationally believe in like irregardless of how it turned out
1: Yeah, I think it's uh al Montoya,
0: yeah
1: I'm telling you i I was sky high for that pick. I, I thought, wow! Well, I I didn't know who Lundquist was. There's no way I would even have really known that much about him at that time. I was like, wow! They got Al Montoya. This is so yeah. Back then, I was super high on Al, and I had interviewed him. I thought he had, you know, a really good personality. Thought he was a good fit for New York. Just didn't work out. And I think, yeah, that was after. At that point. Maybe Blackburn had just gotten injured or he was going to get injured. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the other thing, right? Because Blackburn was probably going to be – I mean, yeah. if Blackburn never gets injured, when does Lundquist come over? Good question. Because Blackburn was good. I mean, you can look at his stats and his stats aren't great, but the Rangers' defense was shit. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, they 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 weren't ready to contend quite yet. No. They were still rebuilding. Yep. Interesting. Now, do you think if Montoya ends up somewhere like the, the friendly confines of, say, Nashville with Barry Trotz's system and, and Mitch Korn, do things go differently for him? Like, could, but, uh, could any of the goalies in this draft class have potentially had Rene-esque careers?
1: Well, I think Montoya could have had a better career because I think Corn would have helped him over the mental part that I think – he needed to jump over. Um, I'll tell you, I thought Marek Schwartz, Schwartz was a good goalie. Yeah, he was supremely hyped coming into this. He one, was and very he didn't even talk about him at all. He was really hyped. Uh, again, goalies is like voodoo. We all know that. But boy, I got to tell you, he he had a great reputation. Uh, you know, Wojtek Wolski as a player had all the tools you'd ever want as a player. But I think he had a ten cent head. Unfortunately, I think that was the. Just not the hockey IQ wasn't great, but everything else was there. And he had a decent NHL career. But goalies, I'm I'm still I'm waiting through him. Uh I don't know who David chances is, I'll be honest. You know, Justin Peters, I thought was gonna be a good goalie, and he was okay. Yeah, he has a run as a backup. Right. But he he came in with a little fanfare, and so that didn't necessarily work out. Uh Let's see who else we got here. Jeff Glass. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, he would produce a top ten pick. We could say that. Fair enough. The other goalie's a oh, chef go now. Justin Pogge, who turns out to be the Leafs' first pick in that draft because they traded the first and the second. Right. But he did win a gold with the World Juniors, and I covered it. But he was a. You know what he was? He he was the um, game manager of goalies. Okay. Like when you hear that quote for for quarterbacks, that's yeah. what he was, man. Just play a decent game, we got the rest, and that's what Justin Poggy ended up being. Okay,
0: so so the answer to that question for me would be Rob Shrimp. I, I'm an Oilers fan, oh, and, and good gravy, was I excited about them getting him with that pick? That's the pick they they got from the Mike Comrie trade. And yeah. I was super in the bag for Mike Comrie, and then everything falls apart with his contract holdout and everything, and it, it all goes to shit.
1: He also, and because then, he was a rich kid, played into it too with Comrie.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know for sure. I was, I was just a kid, heartbroken that. No, no, I know, like dad
1: owned a, like a furniture business or something. Yeah,
0: yeah, that that may have played into it. Certain, certainly him playing in his hometown, the the Oilers used all the ammo they could against him in the press. But, uh, but Shrimp, when they took him 25 with, with the pick that they got for Comrie, I was like, yes, this guy is lights out scoring. And then he goes on and has that like 145 point season for London. And it's like, Oh yeah, here we go. Here we go. And he becomes a shootout specialist. Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn. Um, or is he from
1: Watertown or something like that?
0: Yeah. I, I was reading Apparently, with the Oilers, in his pre-draft interview, he's swearing a bunch. And so, yeah. McCavish tells him, we don't use that fucking word here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then they That's... draft him. So, apparently, they loved it. Yeah. Um, now, here's a here's funny thing. So, the guy who goes 14, 16 for the Islanders, Pateri Nogelenin, a lot of hype. He's walking around on the concourse with agent Bill Zito, who is now the ASGM for the Blue Jackets. And he comes on the show, and I had this audio still, because it's funny. And one day I'll play it for Zito, and I say Noko name, and I think I said Paturi or something, and he goes, no, 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 it's Pateri. Like, he corrects me instantly, before I even announce his name, who he is. And <laughs> I'll always remember that was just funny, like, you know, he was just it was just funny, like he was protecting this guy. But I'll tell you the other guy who had tremendous hype. Kyle Chipchura. Chipper. Yeah. He was was he a first
0: rounder in this one or is he a second Yeah, 18th. Yeah. Yeah. No Maybe kidding.
1: he was the captain of the world junior team too. Let's see.
0: That 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 feels
1: vaguely familiar. I mean, he had a lot. I mean, again, big centerman. Yeah, he was, the, um, he was the captain for the world junior team in 06. So a little after this draft. But but he always was looked at as like captain material, big guy. Yeah, he played a fair amount of games, but certainly nothing close to what Montreal thought they were getting.
0: No kidding. And and it's Montreal, so you know you're getting a, a ton of hype about any centerman who's on the way.
1: Well, it wasn't Louis LeBlanc kind of hype, but, you
0: know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was he ever.
1: That was massive hype. Yeah, well, because he was he was from Montreal, so it yeah. just it, I'll j- tell you it what, just gets guy, out of hand. Sorry, another guy who had a lot of hype, Mark Fistrick. Oh yeah, years. and
0: he has a career, like he he, he does the bodies.
1: Yeah. yeah, he he did okay, but but I think I think his hype and I'll tell you, I was probably overly excited for Jeff Schultz because I covered him. In the, um, in the Calder Cup finals, he played for, um, for Hershey, and they were playing against um, Hamilton when Price was with Hamilton. Okay. And I thought Schultz was really good. But what I didn't know was the transition from the AHL to the NHL would take away a lot of what Jeff Schultz could do. He still played right. a decent career, though. I mean, yeah, he played 400 games. I mean, that's a good NHL career.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's Mike Green's defense partner in, in his peak years there.
1: Yeah. I just thought he'd be a little more. Like he basically in those peak years he was really good, and then that was it. Like into mm-hmm. those cap days, it was over. So he had like a five-year window. I thought it'd be a little longer.
0: Yeah, and sometimes that just happens.
1: Yeah. Guys fall oh, yeah. off early. Yeah, he also was a big guy who
0: banged a lot. No doubt, and that like the there's no measuring the miles
1: that uh, these guys put on their bodies. Yeah, I had. It's a big deal. I mean, people never really seem to take that into account when that happens. Um, I remember the Rangers pick of Dane Byers. (laughs) I do. I think I covered rookie camp when Dane Byers – I have a picture of them walking through, like, New York City. They were trotting the the prospects through New York City, and I think I I still have the picture of Dane Byers (laughs) walking through New York. Little did he know, uh, let's see, that he would play – Six whole games for the Rangers, fourteen in his NHL career. That's yeah, not a lot. <laughs> no, you actually, you know, what's a really good underrated pick here. I didn't know Carl Soder- Soderberg from Adam in that draft.
0: Yeah, he goes. Is it early third or late second? Late second, right? Because there's some uh, com- compensatory picks. He goes what, like sixty fourth?
1: Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. He has. A, he has
0: a good career.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, in the early days of podcasting, and I am known to have a um an opinion or two, I went on to a show because I was covering the Rangers heavily, and Enver Leeson was traded to the Rangers. Oh. And and I went on to a rent. He was drafted in this draft, he was drafted 50th overall by Phoenix. I went onto on to a show, and these guys are still working for Blue Shirt Banner, Eddie and Jim. And it was Eddie that loved Enverleeson, and, and I told him I hated Leeson. I didn't think he was a good player at all. And I explained why, and they were just like, why would you say this? Everybody says this is a good trade, everything else. They know, they learned after that. They, they, they actually will bring up Leeson once in a while when he flamed out of New York. And really, that was it. Like he never went back to the NHL after. He went right over to the KHL.
0: Yeah, I remember the Enver release in the hype train, but uh, yeah. I, I can't remember ever seeing him play a game.
1: No, I did, and that was the other thing, and these guys just – they were on the hype train for him, and I'm like, okay, but I'm telling you, he is not a good player. Um, I'm trying to think if I could pick out one or two more that are fun from this one. Um, you know, as it turns out, Brandon Prust, nice career.
0: Yeah, he has a career.
1: I mean, third-rounder, that's a good career for, for what Brandon Prust – brought on the ice but every team would want a Brandon Frost. every team um thomas grice i wouldn't have known who he was that's a hell of a pick by the sharks if you think about it i mean a guy from germany back then
0: yeah that's- no they they seem to be the team that had the uh, the german pipeline they they draft marco sturm and he ends up in the joe thornton trade and then they
1: get marcel gotch uh, i like marcel gotch one time when we interviewed him i just interviewed um Tim Stutzler, who's going to be in this draft. And that's his, basically, that's his mentor now over in the, German, in the DEL is Marcel Goetsch. And, and, but when I interviewed him, he spoke only a little English and he said he liked to fight. Okay. <laughs> and he didn't have that many fights, but he did mix it up once in a while. I'll tell you a guy who I was irrationally high on in this draft, and that's because he was really good in the World Juniors, Dustin Boyd. Okay. Dustin and Boyd. he's
0: he's a a high pick from uh, Washington, is he not?
1: Calgary, I mean, I can, third round. Okay, okay, I'm conflating him with
0: someone else. Though.
1: No, it's okay. And but Dustin Boyd had some speed, and I thought he had more finish than what he would actually show. But as an example, as an example, he um in the World Juniors, he was a point a game. He had four go- four goals. In six games, I believe he was on that gold medal-winning team, and then um, and then he went right up to Calgary. Like there was a lot of hype. Like, hey, thirteen games didn't do so great. So you know, I don't know if it was before or or at the end of the season. Probably before. And then he went. He had a really good AHL year. Like he remember when the Axar by Ben Knights were a team. Do you remember that in the AHL?
0: I've. I don't remember it, but I've seen that name pop up a number of times in doing that research guy, that guy drafts.
1: Yeah, that guy was like an oil magnate, I believe, and and he won okay. that team. Uh, 60 points in 66 games. So then the next year he gets 48 games in Calgary, but only 12, 12 points. His high is only 22 points. But he had speed, man. He, he was versatile. I thought he could make it. I was wrong about Dustin Boyd, but he played uh, – Couple hundred games. That's still pretty good. Tyler yeah. Kennedy actually had a real good career, if you think about it. But Crosby kind of made his career,
0: right? Tyler Kennedy, in, infamously one of those those early war guys. He's he's got the he's got the best advanced stats in the league. He's he's yeah. better than everyone. And and of course those were ridiculous straw man arguments.
1: But look at Callahan, 127th overall. That's a hell of a pick, man. Oh, the, the Rangers smash it. Uh, with that a one. couple of late round picks. Chris Vertique just retired. 663 games. 643 games from Boston. Fifth round pick. That's a pretty good pick,
0: man. Yeah, he does He does quite well. So wrap things up. Yeah. Uh, in retrospect, who do you think won this draft? Is it Washington or Pittsburgh? Just because they, they smashed all-time legends at one and two. Or does does another team stand out as having won this draft? You know, I
1: looked at it that way, and I felt like Boston did very well. They got Krejci, they got Soderberg. No, no, actually, Soderberg went to St. Louis. They ended up picking up. Was yeah, I think they called. trade for Soderberg at one point. Yeah, they did trade for Soderberg, so that was smart that they did that. Um, Let me see. Let me find Krejci here. All right, so Boston. It was somebody else that they picked that I liked also. Oh, for Steeg and Hunwick. So they got three really good NHLers, where Preachy is, a, you know, an all-star. Yeah, and he went number five for us. So I felt like that's a pretty good – in this draft, if you got more than two guys, you were drafting well. Do you agree mm-hmm. with that?
0: Absolutely. So did, I think the Rangers, did they get three in this one? Well,
1: I mean, yeah, they got Montoya, Korpakowski. Well, they got Callahan Cal- and Dubinsky. Callahan and Dubinsky, right. So, the Callahan and Dubinsky turned out really well for them, and then everything else was okay. I still think Boston had more impactful guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think Pittsburgh getting Goligoski to go you know, along with Malkin yeah, is, that, that's is really probably good. the winner for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they those two are really solid. I didn't even look at Washington. Did they even get anybody else good? So, Pittsburgh, they end up turning Goligoski, who's
0: a very good player we talked about. Oh, yeah. And they turn him into James Neal and Matt Niskanen. Yeah. Which, that's just a slammed-up trade.
1: Oh, I didn't even realize Washington in the second round took another Russian. Guy never oh, yeah. played. Like what team in that era did that took Russians back-to-back rounds? I guess they felt they were probably feeling it after Ovi and they're like, get this guy too. Well, Leontes is speaking it. So now he wants, he wants nothing but. Actually, I got to tell you what we forget, right? We were just talking about it. Ovi and Green and then Jeff Schultz. I don't know. Washington may be the winner here.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's, that's killer. You know, if, if, if the injuries don't pile up for Green, you know, we're talking top 20
1: defensemen of, of the era. 13 picks, three of them hit big, and then Sammy Lupista was a decent player.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Washington. I mean, you get Ovechkin, like you're, you're a winner. And then right. to add anything on top of that. Yeah, you're right. It's Washington.
1: Enough, they're the winner.
0: Oh, yeah. See, Hands down. It's
1: funny because with Ovechkin after that, I was like, Green on my list, it didn't even click. I should have looked at that first.
0: Yeah, I completely forgot. He's he's already like Carolina in my mind. I know,
1: I know. And I, <laughs> I focused it on Boston. I'm glad I went and looked back because yeah, they're the clear winners in that draft. That's that draft makes them for a while.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's easy to forget some of the good players from this draft because Green, like he's he's still in our lives, but he's he's yes. pretty much done as as a top tier player by 2011. Whereas some of these guys are still going on to have their best moments, like we barely touched on Rene, but he has a run from when they go to the Cup final to into the next year, where he's he wins the Vezina and leads the league and wins in like every goalie category. He's he's the best goalie in the in the world for
1: almost two years there. Yeah, and that happens in his late 30s. Yeah, yeah, no question. That was spectacular. Here's how good Washington's could have been, though. They could have had a top four if Chris Bork would have been not a quadruple-A player because he was great in the AHL. He's one of the best AHL players you'll ever see. That was Ovechkin, Schultz, Green, Bork. That would have been unbelievable for this draft.
0: Oh, yeah, that, that goes down as an all-time draft class. Yeah.
1: And maybe if, it if does anyway. If you know, Chris Bork would have played like 400, 500, 600 NHL games, we'd be like, Wow. They, they were so much better than every other team in this draft. No kidding.
0: Russ, I, I really want to thank you for coming on and doing this redraft and sharing many fantastic stories with us. Do you want to plug some stuff before you get yeah, out of here?
1: Yeah. I wish we could have fought more.
0: Sorry. Yeah, about that. we're Great
1: minds think alike. So First one, book called Sticks and Stones. It's a college hockey book. Um, Nice book, some pictures, some good pictures. This one got a lot of retweets. This is when the uh, U.S. beat Canada at the Bell Center. Okay. That was a pretty big deal. I, I had no idea. I just put it up on my Instagram. I go down. I go to interview guys like Adam Fox and, and, and a bunch of guys, and all of a sudden it turns out Darren ravello has got like a million followers, retweeted that, and I was just getting dinged. So So that was kind of cool, but one of the – Interesting stories in here. Steve Carell was a college bully from the office. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So I I didn't know that. Yeah. So that was good. And then there's another one called Baseball's Best Rookies. It's a second edition book, but people may not have seen the first. Um, I'm a Met fan. So there's a picture of me with Dwight Gooden. Um, But a lot of great guys in this. I don't know if you're a fan of baseball. Uh, I've fallen out of love with it. Okay. But who did you used to like? I was a Jays guy. A Jays guy. Mm, I don't think I have everybody from the Jays in here. But there's a lot of great <laughs> guys. We just recently added um, Jacob deGrom, Bryce Harper, because this book came out in, like, 2011. So we added okay. deGrom, Harper. We added Shoyotani, Otani, a few others, some other pictures. And we also ranked all of the all-time rookies. And let's see. Does an expo make it in that? Ishiro is in here. Yeah, i don't know where it is but I'm not sure what jay is in there
0: hmm. yeah they, they didn't have a Cole they didn't carter. have a ton of great rookies
1: no i was happy for joe carter though when he beat the phillies I was. no kidding
0: uh you want to tell me a little bit more about the college book like i was just i was just reading I, I'd, I'd seen that you recently released it and i was reading up on uh kind of how how it's about how college prepares you for success in other things in life and I think that's a topic, self-actualization, That uh, it's really near and dear to me. Um, okay. And so I just, like, I'm, I'm curious, do you get into players' stories of, uh, of how it helped them and, and that sort of thing? I mean, not
1: as much as you would probably think based on the title, but again, I think some of it's, like, self-evident, like Steve Carell, obviously, better actor than he is a goalie. When you read the interview that he did on the radio that pissed off his coach at the time, you'll realize that he was destined for greatness. That's all I'm getting <laughs> And it was really kind of funny, and it was nice that he gave that to me. Um, if you think about I'm trying to think who's a good one. Martin, Martin Saint-Louis, I think, still holds up as that guy that – how did he make it to the NHL? Everything was against him. Everything.
0: Absolutely. Every, everything but the, the most thick
1: legs in the world. Right. Size <laughs> bias, all of that. And, and so I think, you know, that was a, um, a big deal and shows that. I think Mike Richter's a good one because what can you tell me about Mike Richter's career in Wisconsin? Uh, not a single thing. I didn't even know that was right. And I bet you a lot of Ranger fans couldn't either. And even when I asked Mike Richter about Wisconsin, it took him a minute to kind of go back there to give me some quotes about that. Because like Mike Richter, like, you know, the World Cup, Stanley Cup, you know New York All Star, but I I needed to ask him about Wisconsin, right? Because this is a college hockey book. No kidding. So yeah, I, I felt like that was interesting because you know there's not a lot known about Mike Richter's college career, really.
0: No, absolutely so, not. He's he's known as the backbone of of that first wave of really awesome American players, but never never where he came from. Just that he's, now one that he's you American. Be,
1: yeah. One that you might feel really good about, Cam Talbot's in here, and I remember interviewing Talbot when he won maybe his like second NHL game, and as the Ranger backup. And remember, he was a Stanley Cup winner as a backup, not yeah. winner sorry, in the Stanley Cup against the Kings. But he's yeah. the backup right? Lunquist plays, he doesn't get to play. Um, but he went to Alabama Huntsville. So how the hell does Cam Talbot even get scouted? No kidding. At Alabama Huntsville, and he didn't get. He said scouts never came to see him until his final year, and they were, you know, all of a sudden contending in college hockey because of his play. Then all of a sudden, Cam Talbot gets on the radar. But if Cam Talbot just goes to Alabama Huntsville and has an okay career, he doesn't get scouted. Nobody goes yeah. out. And like, does he even does he even play hockey again? Right. And so I feel like even though we're not spelling it out, if you think about that story that's why they're not all superstars some of them have these kind of great stories like Talbot where you know he goes to a really small school and and comes through um you know I like the story actually here's something unique in here so I wrote this with Adam Woden, and he owns a um, website called Kalataki News you may have gone to it you may have stolen material from it (laughs) Um, but it's really great it's a great resource and he's like he's a college hockey guru. And I wanted to write this book with him. I had the idea of this book, but I knew he'd be the best guy. And I knew him for a long time. So he decided, yeah, he would do it. But when I went to him and said, well, I'm going to write about Hobie Baker. He goes, don't, there's nothing else to learn about Hobie Baker. Everything about Hobie Baker is known already. There's nothing you're going to come up with. And so to me, that was like a challenge, right? I'm like, all right.
0: Oh yeah. You know, yeah, let's get after that.
1: And, and-, and you found something. I created something, but, but, oh. here's, but here's a picture. If you ever go to Baker Rink, it's the coldest rink on Earth. Um, that's a picture that hangs in Baker Rink. Can you see Hobie there in yep. all his glory? Yeah. And you know he was a war hero, great hockey player, but Hobie Baker never played in the NHL, right? But he could have. The Canadians offered him money, and instead he went to Wall Street. He went to Shearson Lehman, I believe, and. Became a you know a broker, and because that was more money for him,
0: right? Than being right. a hockey
1: player, I think the Canadians offered him like ten or twenty grand. Now, I tried to look up a scouting report on Hobie Baker, just because I'm you know like a prospect guy, who was interested. in Nothing, nothing exists, and so I have some friends in the business because you know, I did the show called Hockey and Prospect Radio. So for a lot of years, assistant GM scouts, a lot of guys came on our show, right? Uh, so I emailed Tim Burke, who's the ASGM for the Sharks, and said, would you be interested? I know you love hockey history. Could you give me a scouting report on Hobie Baker? And he said, absolutely, because he's a Princeton alum. Okay. And, and he goes, I'll do it. Actually, he wasn't a Princeton alum. He played somewhere else, but he was a coach at Princeton, I think for baseball, actually, Tim Burke. Interesting. Yeah. So, but he has a great love for hockey. And so, yeah, he gave me a scouting report. For Hobie Baker, and that's what's in the book. And Woden loved it. He's like, you know what? This is really good. <laughs> so I did actually come up with something because that was my dream in this book. Like I have to, I cover out of Princeton. I mean, I live in New Jersey, right? So for a long time, I've covered out of Princeton. I would go probably four or five games a year, and I, you know, I have to do something. Hobie Baker. It's Hobie Baker Rink, and so yeah. So I was able to work that in. Um, the funniest thing about, like I talked about the cold at Hobie Baker Rink. Mike Condon when he's playing for the um, Canadians. Winter Classic, he's out there practicing outside of Gillette Field. We go in for the press conference, and I said, Mike, what's colder? Being out there, outdoors, or or Baker Rink? And he goes, Baker Rink, by far, he goes, it was warm out there compared to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good quote.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm gonna have to pick up that book because I'm I'm really interested in seeing, all those stories you, you've teased you can't it, get well. it
1: digitally you can get it digitally it might be quicker than than canada you know to ship it to canada so
0: oh absolutely everyone everyone needs their essential supplies these days so <laughs> and everything's not moving very fast so uh, yeah. i'll be check, checking that out on the uh, the old kindle cool. again thank you so much for for coming on the pod here Russ. that was fun i enjoyed this okay everyone that's our show thank you for tuning in Wasn't that just great? Russ has got some fantastic stories. A big thank you to him for being so generous with his time. Make sure you check out his books, Baseball's Best Rookies, as well as Sticks and Stones, How College Hockey Prepares You for Life. Make sure you like and subscribe to the show wherever you're listening to your podcasts. I've got more planned coming in the NHL Redraft Series these next few weeks, so keep on the lookout for those.